Um, that was a joke. He's not getting paid. <laughs> not everyone rushed the stage at once saying you want that job. I'm kidding. Uh, welcome back to RUF. Two, let me make one more announcement about Spring Conference, okay? February the 15th and 16th. The deadline, we've got over 30 already signed up. The deadline will be a week from Friday. And the reason why there's a deadline is because we've got to book hotel rooms and we've got to give the hotel uh, information so that they can release rooms back into their inventory uh, for that particular weekend. We're going to leave here at 3.30, roughly. We're going to meet. We're going to have dinner together. We're going to sing together. We'll have a talk from Bill Boyd, who's the pastor at Covenant Church, and he was a former campus minister with RUF at Texas many years ago. He's going to talk about the gospel in the city, the gospel in the poor. And then on Saturday, we're going to serve. We're going to put hands and feet to the gospel and go with other folks in the community uh, with a ministry there in Birmingham and serve the poor. And we're going to clothe them, help give them clothing and feed them. Uh, and so we're actually going to um, do some work. So we would love for you to go. And if you're interested in going, my number is on the sheet. Just please text me. And that will sign you up, and I'll put you on a list and get more information out to you uh, coming soon. So remember, a week from this Friday, if you want to go, let me know, and I'll get you on that list. If you have your Bible, turn with me. If you're not already open there, to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, look on with a friend. Or uh, you can find the text printed for you on the announcement sheet. Be looking Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Last week, we began our study in the book of Acts. We started last week with Acts chapter 1, and we looked at the ascension, and really asked the question is, what does the ascension mean? Why is that a big deal to Christianity, and why is it important for us personally? Well, this week, we come to Acts chapter 2, to the famous passage, the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, before we dig in, let me make sure we're clear on something. Uh, this was not the first time uh, or the first arrival of the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 2. No, the Holy Spirit has existed for all eternity in the Trinity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In addition to that, we see in the Old Testament, the Bible, it talks about, uh, in the Old Testament, the, the writers talk about the coming of the Spirit all over the place. There's references to the coming of the Spirit. But in particular, there are a couple of places in which the prophets talk about a time that the Spirit will come unlike it ever has before. The prophets talk about a time in which God will pour out His Spirit and bring mega change into the world. The day that the prophets are talking about is the passage that we're looking at tonight. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, the day of Pentecost. Very important passage for us to understand. Before we look at that, let me pray and ask God to be with us as we look at His Word. Father, uh, we pray that you would come through your Spirit. Would you send your Spirit to teach us? Father, you tell us in your Word that the Spirit is also one of its roles is to convict us of sin. 
We pray that you would convict and rebuke and change, that you would show us more of who we are, Uh, but you also tell us that one of the roles of the Spirit is to show us Jesus. And so we pray tonight, as we look at this passage, uh, that we would see Jesus here. Be with us, in Jesus' name, amen. At first glance, you look at this passage, and some of you might be thinking, uh, when it was being read, maybe you've glanced over it, what in the world is going on here? Some of you might be thinking, what can I possibly learn from this passage? What does it have anything to do with me here in 2013? Well, I want to to suggest tonight that there is lots of things for us to learn in this passage. There is lots of application here uh, for us to look at. Last week we answered the question, what does the ascension mean? Why is it important for us? Tonight, here's the question. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? That's the question we're going to answer tonight in our passage. It means three things. To be filled with the Spirit means that you anticipate the future. You can see this on the outline printed before you means that you remember who you are. And thirdly and finally, we'll see that to be filled with the Spirit means that the walls and the barriers in your life start to come down all around you. Let's look at number one, to anticipate the future. To be filled with the Spirit means you anticipate the future. Verse one, very significant here, this Jewish holiday called Pentecost is the day that God chose to send down and pour out His Spirit. What is Pentecost? Well, it was a harvest festival. And it happened 50 days after the Passover. And one of the first questions, and kind of obvious questions, as we come to our text tonight is, out of all of the days that God could have chosen to pour out His Spirit... Why in the world did he choose this day? Why would he choose Pentecost? Here's why. Because there is significant in the fact that Pentecost was a festival of the first fruits. In other words, it was a festival of harvest. It's when the first fruits of the harvest would come in. On that day, the harvest was brought in and you didn't see it all. Okay, you just saw a sampling of what was to come in droves later on. And God is saying that is exactly the way the Spirit comes. God is saying, I choose this day because I'm going to give you a sample, a foretaste, a deposit, a guarantee through the Holy Spirit that there is more to come in the future. Think of it this way. Two summers ago, 2011, Susie and I transitioned our family from Birmingham to Oxford. We took a couple of house hunting trips, and we had a realtor here in Oxford, and we were looking uh, at houses in the area. And when we found the house that we wanted, we went to the realtor and we put down what is called earnest money. It's normally $1,000, and basically here's what earnest money is. It's a promise of more cash to come. That's what it is, and that's exactly the same with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a promise to us. Ephesians chapter 1, 
You can read it. It's a down payment or a deposit that there is more to come in the future. In order for us to really grasp this, we've got to go back and look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is another significant passage in the Bible. That is the fall of man. That's when sin came into the world. And from that point forward, everything in the world is subject to decay. Everything is falling apart. When you buy a new house, it doesn't take long before the house starts coming apart in some way. The drains start to clog up. The air conditioner breaks. You get a new car, maybe you got a new car over Christmas. You park it in Stockard parking lot or Martin long enough, you'll get a dent in your door. You'll get a scratch on the car. Your body itself, you know, is decaying. As you get older, it starts to come apart and not work correctly. Your relationships are subject to decay. Even the very best marriages and the very best relationships that you see, there's misunderstanding. There's heartache. There's anger. There's pain. There's stress. There's depression. There's insensitivity. And in some cases, there's unfaithfulness and deceit in very big ways. But through the prophets, God promised the time when everything in the world would be repaired. Everything in the world would be made right. But if you read these early chapters of Acts, in Acts 1 and 2, and you can read those, it was obvious that the disciples didn't really understand the nature of what God was doing. They thought that when God came and poured out His Spirit, that that was going to be it, that the world was going to be made right. They failed to understand that it was always part of God's plan, that the repair come in two phases. The first phase started when Jesus came to earth and poured out His Spirit. The second phase will come when Jesus comes back to earth a second time and makes this world right, corrects all the wrongs, and makes them right. That is why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says that if you are a Christian, you have been given the first fruits of the Spirit. Right now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, But this passage shows us, and all throughout the New Testament, shows us that that is simply a deposit, a foretaste of what is to come, the whole harvest that is coming in the future. There is a great renewal coming, and Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit in order to begin that renewal. Why do I say this? Because this idea of the Holy Spirit is utterly foreign to most of us. You see, for most of us, we think that the purpose of the coming of the Spirit is to be transported in space and time to an ecstatic place of worship. That's not the purpose of the Spirit. The Spirit comes to begin personal and psychological and social and worldwide renewal that is coming when God returns and makes this world right. That's the first point. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
Well, it means that you anticipate the future. Secondly, it means that you remember who you are. Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, has taught me a lot, particularly about this idea uh, and role of the Spirit uh, in our lives. He's shed light on this for me. But one of the things that we can trace, one of the threads that can be traced through really every reference to the Spirit is this idea of sonship. This idea of adoption. This idea that you are a child of God. What do I mean by that? Well, Mark chapter 2, Jesus was baptized. And in that chapter, it says that the heavens opened up and the Spirit came down and the Spirit came upon Jesus and said, This is my Son in whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. You're saying, well, okay, of course the Spirit's going to be pleased because that's Jesus. That's not me. Well, hang with me. Romans chapter 8. The Spirit comes into your heart. Why does the Spirit come into your heart? To bear witness and to assure you that you are a child of God. That you have been adopted into God's family. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. The Spirit comes into our hearts so that we might cry, Abba, Father. The point and purpose, one of the roles and purposes of the Holy Spirit is to come and invade your heart and to tell you how much God loves you and delights in you. To come in and assure you that you are His child. John chapter 14 and 16, and I encourage you to read this sometime this week, but Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that Jesus says is that one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is to take what I have taught you, what Jesus has taught you, and to manifest it to your heart. Manifest it to you. In other words, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to take what you have learned and known all of your life in your head. And for some of you, you know what this is like. It seems like you've got lots of head knowledge. You've grown up with this stuff. The Holy Spirit's role is to take what you know in your head and make it real to your heart and convince you more and more that you are a child of God. Mark Rick, he coaches the University of Georgia Bulldogs. And he has an adopted daughter named Anya. And you need to know something about Anya. She was born in Russia, and she has a gross, severe facial deformity that she was born with. So much so that no one wanted her. Not even her parents who left her on the doorstep of this orphanage in Russia, never to be seen again. The odds were against Anya. Statistics said that she would die in this orphanage. Family after family would come, and they would simply pass over Anya for obvious reasons. Until one day, uh, the Rick family came from Athens, Georgia. And And there's so many gospel threads here that we could work this out forever. But out of all of the girls in this orphanage... They pick Anya. 
I've got a friend that worked for the athletic department at Georgia, and one of his responsibilities was to be on the practice field uh, videoing and filming the practices, football practices. And he said that it was a regular sight at practice, that Anya uh, would be sitting in the stands in the bleachers, waiting for the final whistle to blow and practice to end. And he said when that would happen... Anya would stand up in the bleachers and take off running across the field as fast as she possibly could. And Mark Rick, her father, would get down on his knees and hold his arms open and she would run and jump into his arms and he would give her a huge bear hug. And then he would stand up and begin playfully tossing her into the air. He says then he would sit her down and they would hand in hand walk off of the football field. Here's my question. Was Anya more of a daughter in her father's arms than while she was sitting in the bleachers watching practice? Legally, no. But what about subjectively? All the difference, isn't it? In other words, when Anya was in her father's arms, experiencing her father's love, experiencing her adoption, it made all the difference. And it makes all the difference for you, friends. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means that you and I sense the Father's arms around us, the Heavenly Father. We sense His arms around us, and they are real to us. Being filled with the Spirit is an assurance of who you are. It is taking the things that you know in your head, and some of you know the Gospel very well in your head, and the Spirit comes and makes it real to your heart. How does it work? Here's how it works. You're able to say things like, wait a minute. If someone like that, meaning God, loves me like this, why am I so concerned about what people think of me? If someone like that loves me like this, why, why, why am I so depressed? Why am I so discouraged? Why do I care if I got snubbed by that particular group? Friends, that is the voice of the Spirit. When you begin to talk to yourself that way, that is a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work inside you. So what does it mean then? Okay, that's what it means and looks like on the inside, but what does it look like on the outside? Well, look at verse 13. It looks like you're drunk. What does that mean? Let's work it out. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine. Might have heard this verse before. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit is like being drunk. 
Interesting. Sounds like what Paul's saying. What does he mean? What does that verse mean? Here's what it means. Being filled with the Spirit is like being drunk because you experience and feel the Father's arms wrapped around you. And in doing so, it makes you joyful. It makes you happy. It makes you, in a sense, fearless. But here's the thing. It does it totally different than alcohol does it. Alcohol, you know, is a depressant. And that doesn't mean that alcohol makes you depressed. What that means is alcohol depresses part of your brain function. The reason why when you're drunk, you're extremely happy and joyful and fearless is because you're not aware of reality. You're happy because you can't think straight. Or let me put it to you this way. When you're drunk, reality is hidden from you. And unlike alcohol, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and makes you fearless of other people. It comes in, he comes into your heart and makes you joyful and makes you happy. But He doesn't do it by hiding reality from you as alcohol does it. The Spirit comes and does it by making you more aware of reality in reminding you of what is really true. Do you see that? The Spirit comes into you and tells you that the only person whose opinion that really matters in the world loves you beyond comprehension and has done everything in His power for you even going to a cross and dying and shedding His blood for you. And He will never let you go. You see, when the Holy Spirit makes that real to your heart, guess what? The things in your life that are really, really big, failing a test, not having that guy that you want to go out with a second date ask you out again, not getting that internship, or getting snubbed by a certain social group. Friends, when this starts to happen with the Spirit, that stuff seems really, really small. Because Jesus is making His love for you real through the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? You anticipate the future. Secondly, you remember who you are. You're a child of God. And thirdly, the walls come down. Look at verses 4 and 11. Normally when Christians get to this passage, it's like you automatically focus on the wrong things. And that's our ten a lot of times our temptation in reading the Bible. We kind of major on minors. Well, that's what often happens in this passage. Christians come to this passage and the first question is, how do I speak in tongues? Should I speak in tongues? What does it mean to speak in tongues? That's not the point of this passage. But we need to be careful. We want to handle our Bibles correctly. Because the tongues that we see here in Acts chapter 2 are totally different than the tongues we see in the rest of the Bible. What do I mean? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14, Paul says that if you pray in tongues and no one could understand you, you should have an interpreter present 
to interpret for you. Notice, Paul assumes in Corinthians that when people speak in tongues that no one understands. What's different here? Well, in Acts chapter 2, everyone understood. Because they were hearing and the tongues were being spoken in their own language. The next question is, what did they talk about? What did the Spirit show them? Well, I think this is important. Notice what the Spirit did not show them, okay? The Spirit did not talk to them about healing. The Spirit here comes over them and they don't talk about a personal sense of well-being. They don't talk about a peaceful, easy feeling. What do they talk about? Verse 11. When the Spirit comes, they start talking about the wonders and the glory and the mighty acts of God. And what's interesting is that that word actually means mighty works of God, as it says in the ESV, the English Standard Version. It means the miraculous acts of salvation in God, in God in, throughout all of history. Okay, so what would that be in the Old Testament? Well, a miraculous act of salvation is the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea in order to save his people. When we get to the New Testament, that miraculous act of God is the work of Jesus for you and me on the cross through which he has saved God's people. In other words, when the Spirit comes on them, what do they talk about? They talk about the gospel. When the Spirit comes on them, they don't talk about themselves. Notice that. They talk about Jesus. They're obsessed with Him and who He is and what He's done. You want to know know something amazing? And You think about this passage that we often overlook. At Pentecost, there would have been people from all over the known world at this festival. They're hearing the gospel. Remember the mighty works of God? That's what he's, they're communicating in their own language so that everyone could understand. Look at verse 41. The gospel is being preached. Look ahead. 3,000 people are saved and come to Jesus Christ on this particular day. Now, Pentecost is about to be over. Where are these people going? Home. Do you see it? In one act, Jesus takes the gospel to the God takes the gospel to the entire world. That's the point of the passage. That God in one act These people are taking the gospel to the known world at the time. And that is absolutely amazing, friends. But you know what's even more amazing than that? It gets better. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, we have, you hear all these languages and cultures that are represented. It's called the list of nations. The last time we see the list of nations is in Genesis chapter 10. 
Genesis chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel in which people were trying to create their own religion without God and God judged them. And you know how God judged them? They had one language and he confused them so that they could not understand one another and so that the project had to stop. And the purpose of the Tower of Babel is to show you that human pride and arrogance divided the human race. We see the list of nations again in this passage in verse 9. But it's totally different, isn't it? Look at it. Because now, all different languages were, were, were represented there. And guess what? They could totally understand one another. Why? Because the curse of Babel is being reversed. How is the curse of Babel being reversed? Pentecost shows us that the curse of Babel is being reversed because the curses and the judgment fell on Jesus Christ Himself. So that through Jesus, these various curses that the human race and divisions that the human race has experienced throughout their history of the world is being reversed. Isn't that amazing? Pentecost is about something huge. It is something big. Because God is doing a new thing. He's building a new community. The coming of the Spirit shows us that God is reorganizing. He's reestablishing and regathering humanity under one head. The person of Jesus Christ. Pentecost shows us that by this deliberate miracle, and we've got to hear this, notice it goes out to every language. God wants us to make sure that there is no culture that has precedent over any other in the Christian life. Through Pentecost, God is showing us that there is no culture that everyone can look at and say, that's the original and everyone else is secondary. So what does that mean for us? Here's what it means. Friends, when the Spirit shows up in your life, when you are filled with the Spirit, it relativizes your background. Meaning it doesn't matter how you grew up anymore. When the Spirit shows up, people from wildly different backgrounds and cultures and languages and social customs and music styles and political parties all come together as one. Under one head, Jesus Christ. The point of this passage and the point of the miracle of speaking in tongues is not to strengthen your own personal faith. God gives us this miracle to show us the nature of the kingdom of God. The nature of the kingdom and what it's like. And what he shows us is that the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of God, that it doesn't matter what sorority you're in. It doesn't matter what fraternity you're in. It doesn't matter how much money your parents make. It doesn't matter whether you're white, Asian, black. It doesn't matter. 
Because Jesus took down the dividing wall that existed between us and God so that you and I could go and tear down the walls that exist between us and other people. You see, when the Spirit shows up, guess what? We throw aside our childish cultural hang-ups and we come together as one humanity under Jesus. And that is why in RUF, we should always be fighting to be more diverse. To be more diverse culturally. And to be more diverse racially. And you know what? God is doing that in this place. But He's not done. We want to be more diverse. We want to be more represent, a better representation of the kingdom of God in this place. Why? Not so we can be politically correct. Because it's what the Spirit wants. And it's what it means to be a Christian. And it's what it means to be a member of the kingdom of God. You know what it means to be a part of RUF? It means that we just don't come on Wednesday nights to be inspired. But it means that we come. And in this room, and in our circles outside of this room, we are constantly working to gradually reverse the curses and the dividing walls, to tear them down that exist between us and other people. You know what my prayer is? For RUF is that in this place cultural and racial walls would be pummeled and destroyed and brought to the ground so much so that when people in the world and people on this campus look and say what is going on we can show them Jesus and say Jesus is the one that brings healing and brings unity to humanity and to the human race. Let's pray.